Hello, and welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, December 2nd, 2018, we're continuing our series titled Knowing Truth, The Letters of John. And in today's sermon, Abiding in Perfect Love, Pastor Thomas Slager is going to be teaching from 1 John chapter 4, verses 13 through 21. We hope you enjoy. In a world of disagreements, large and small, I don't believe that you exist. Go think whatever you want. Go ahead. How can a good and powerful God allow innocent people to suffer unspeakable tragedies? But then there's all these questions, you know, about ethics and moral issues as well. And I would say, well, they're crazy for not testing what they think they believe. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. It's as real as what you see. And, and I begin with the assumption that God is love. And love is love is love is love. I think that the orthodox, historic Christian tradition is this vast, diverse conversation that's been going on for thousands of years. Last week, Pastor Mark brought us through uh, verses 7 through 12 and and did a a sermon called A Love Story Portrait. He basically showed us the love of God and the love we're meant to have for each other. Now, he told us last week that the word love was used 15 times in different variations in his passage. This morning in the passage I'm teaching, it's used 13 times in just these short seven verses. So between the two of them, um, that's 28 usages of the word love in 14 verses. Um, so I think you should understand our theme. It's love. Uh, someone asked me this morning, what are you teaching on? And I said, love. I'm loving people. I said, oh, that's it? What? Like, what do you mean, that's it? Like, yeah, that's it. That isn't, isn't that the point? Is that not the point that we would receive God's love, that we'd know God's love for us, that we'd receive that transforming love and that we as people would be incredibly transformed from the people we used to be and that we would go out into the world and that we would show the love of Christ to other people? So yeah, that's it, that's it. It's just, it's just the point of the whole story is that God loved us so we go and love people. So yeah, that's it. That's just, just the only thing I get to teach this morning. So yes, that's it. We're talking about love. Um, And I know this probably isn't new to you, the idea that God loves you. I'm sure if you've been in church, um, it's not a new concept for you. And I'm sure if you're here in church this morning, maybe for the first time in a while, it's because you had a feeling that God might love you. And the fact is this morning, that's the truth. God loves us. He cares for us. And with the same love he has for us, it's the love we should give back to him and also to the world around us. So let's check out 1 John chapter 4, verses 13 through 21. I'm going to read it. I'll pray for us once more, and then we'll dive in. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love 
his brother. Let's go ahead and pray again. God, though it's my voice that's been heard, we know this morning it's your word that's been spoken. And God, this morning we trust the transformative power of your word. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come. Um, we know you're with us, God. Would you, would you show your word to us? Would you reveal your word to us? God, would you help us understand your love maybe in a different way than we have before this morning? And God, would we leave this morning with laser focus, laser focus to go and love the world with the love that you have shown us. God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for being with us this morning. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen. I want to rewind real quick to the last verse that we covered last week. First John chapter four, verse 12. It's up on the screen for you. It says this, no one has ever seen God if we love one another and then tells us two things happen if we love one another. God abides in us and then secondly, his love is perfected in us. Now what we see in verses 13 through 21 are an elaboration of these two points. Okay, in verses 13 through 16, we're going to see that God abides in us, and then in verses 17 through 21, he's going to elaborate on this theme of perfect love. What does perfect love look like, and what does perfect love do? Uh, in your outlines this morning, you'll notice two questions. Um, those are two questions that are going to form our time together this morning. The first question we can ask of our text is this. How do I know I'm a Christian? How do I know I'm a Christian? Verse 13 starts with this. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. That word abide, it means to remain in. It means to dwell. Um, you can think of it as getting close to Jesus and staying close to Jesus. And if, if you're close to Jesus and staying with Jesus, if you remain in Jesus, if you dwell in Jesus, that means you're a Christian. And the means by which you become a Christian is believing in Jesus for the work he did for you on a cross, that he died on the cross for our sins, but he didn't stay dead. He came back to life and that when he resurrected, he paid the penalty and defeated death. Now we too can have a right relationship with God. That's what I mean by Christian. How can I know I'm a Christian? Well, he answers the question. He says, by this we know. If you've been around for our study, if you haven't, you can find it all online, but this whole thing has been called knowing truth knowing truth, that we would know rightly so we can live rightly and then so we can love rightly. It's been the whole theme of the book, this idea that we can know we are in Christ. We can know that we do abide. We can know that we remain. We can know that we can dwell. God wants us to be confident. God wants us to be secure. So what he gives us in these first few verses is three reasons we can know that we dwell, that we remain, that we abide in Christ. The first one he gives us is this, because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. How can I know that I'm a Christian? How can I know that I abide in him? If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then the fact of the matter is that you are. Take your Bibles with me real quick and flip to the left to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Um, I didn't get it on the screen in time, so I apologize. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. How do we get the Holy Spirit, and what is that Look like. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says this In him you also, when you heard, that's the first thing you did, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, that's the gospel, it's good news. It's good news of what God did for us, what God did for us in his son Jesus. The good news of your salvation and believed in him. So there's two things we do. We hear the good news. We hear the message of the gospel, the message of what Jesus has done for us. We hear it and then if we believe it, this thing happens. We are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. When we believe in Jesus, we're sealed. It's almost as if we're given a symbol of the faith. How you know you're Christian is not the cross you wear around your necklace. How you know you're a Christian is that the spirit of God is living inside of you because that's the way this works. You hear the gospel, believe the gospel, then you receive the Holy Spirit. I, I was thinking about it like this this week. You've seen the movie Toy Story? Just track with me. You're like, Toy Story, gospel, Toy Story, what? Um, remember in, in the Toy Story, there's this guy named Andy. Andy's the owner of all the toys. And what is the word written on all of Andy's toys' feet? Andy. It's his name, Andy. Okay, now in the movie, you'd think that Andy's name is written on the toys' feet so Andy could recognize which toys are his. But what we see inside of this movie is that Andy's name is written on their foot so the toys can look on their foot and see who they belong to. They always find themselves in this moment of crisis and then Woody looks at his foot and remembers, oh, I, I belong to Andy. It's gonna be okay, I belong to Andy. Or Buzz Lightyear looks at the bottom, we're talking Buzz Lightyear right now, people, come on. And then Buzz Lightyear looks at the bottom of his foot and what's on the bottom of Buzz's foot? Andy, because it reminds him and encourages him that I belong to Andy. Okay, just like that name Andy was a seal and a symbol of that relationship, the Holy Spirit is a seal and symbol for us. Okay, so that we in times of crisis or times of doubt or times of darkness, whatever it might be, we can look at the name that's been written on our heart and see Jesus. We can see that, yeah, the world's in chaos and this, that, and other thing is going on, but I belong to Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He seals us and shows us that we are, in fact, in the faith. Galatians, I'm sorry, Romans chapter eight, verse nine. We'll go there first. It's up on the screen for you. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. And how do you get the spirit of God to dwell in you? You hear it, and then you believe it. You receive the good news, the message of Jesus. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So it's very clear here. How do I know if I am in fact in the faith? Is the spirit of God living in you? If the spirit of God is living in you, then you can know you are in fact of the faith. Galatians chapter five, verses 16 through 17. Um, Paul instructing a church on how to walk by the spirit and how to live out this faith that they have. He says, but I say, walk by the spirit. Now this stuff, it's, how, do you, how do you walk by something you cannot see? Right, because you think of the Holy Spirit as like a, a, a tour guide through life, way more than that, but showing us how to live our life and leading us where to go, helping us understand the scriptures, helping us see where God is and then walking in that direction. But how do you follow someone that you cannot see? For me, um, it, it looks like the form of questions, um, of just questions I ask God and then I listen. It might be this question, God, what should I do here? What should I do? I'm presented with some different options. Um, I'm dealing with this within my family. Uh, my kids are doing this and this, and I could kind of see two different ways to go with the solution to a problem that we're having. Uh, and God, I really don't want to go Thomas's way. I want to go Jesus's way. So what do I do here? And then I stop and I listen. Or maybe it's this question. God, is this right? Is this right? forming an outline to teach. God, is this, is this right? 
You hear something on the news. God, is this right? Something sounds off. Would you show me what it is? Or here's another one. Maybe you have a friend. I'm sorry, I've got the stuff. Um, maybe you've got a friend going through something and they're looking to you for, for counsel and insight and, and you're trying to help them through and they're just unloading their situation on you and you're like, this is way out of my league. Or like, I don't, I, I don't know what to do with any of this. Another question, God, will you help me deal with this? Will you help me help my friend? Will you, will you show me, will you help me say what I'm supposed to say? Will you, will you help me love? Will you help me be peaceful? Will you help me be patient? Will you help me be any of these things? And that's what it looks like to walk by the Spirit. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. All right, real quick. How many of you are sick of sinning? You just wish you'd stop sinning. Come on, half of us, half of us want to stop sinning. Keep, keep the video up here. Don't look at the crowd because that ain't good. I think all of us would say like, yeah, I, I want to stop sinning. Well, if you look at this, he kind of just gave us a recipe to help us do that. But I say, walk by the spirit and what happens? You will not gratify the desire of the flesh. Follow the Spirit, follow Jesus, do what he tells you to do and you will not end up doing the things your flesh wants you to do. That's the way that works, by the way. The, the Spirit is in working in direct opposition with our flesh and our flesh tends to work in direct opposition to the Spirit. That's what this says. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do, and this works both ways, how? Because when I find myself wanting to do the right thing, guess what, my flesh is closely behind encouraging me to do the wrong thing. And when my flesh is really wanting to do the wrong thing, the spirit is closely behind encouraging me to do the right thing. It's why when I'm feeling generous and the spirit says you should be giving more and, and, and just helping more and, and I feel that, the flesh is right behind me and my flesh is saying, but if you give more, that's less for you and then I'm in this e internal conflict of opposition. What am I supposed to do? When I'm at home relaxing and I close the door, shoes off, sit on the couch in my flesh, that means I am done for the day, okay? But in my spirit, my spirit says, no, you ain't. Get your butt up and go help your wife life. It's this constant struggle and turmoil that's happening inside of us. The spirit is against the flesh and the flesh is against the spirit. And I thank God I have the spirit because if I was left with just the flesh, I'd be a mess. How do I know I'm a Christian? I have the Holy Spirit living in my life, helping me do the things I would not otherwise do in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, Paul refers to them as the fruit of the Spirit. He says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. These are the things that the Spirit produces in my life. It's like the fruit on a tree. You don't go up to an apple tree and tape apples to it. Apples produce, apple trees produce apples. It's the way it's supposed to work. It's just like we don't go through our life faking these things and taping these fruits onto our life, but the Spirit produces them through us. 
And when we look at our life and see these things, especially if you have a track record of walking with Jesus and you look back, however many years it is, for some of you, it's one year. For some of you, it's near 100. You've been walking with Jesus for a long, long time. When you look back, do you look different from the person you used to be? You should. Because you should see the Spirit producing different things in you. You should see the Spirit helping you live the life you're meant to live. You should see the Spirit helping you become the person that you were called to be. It's definitely not the person you once were because now the Spirit's in you and helping you live different. How do I know I'm a Christian? I have the Spirit of God living inside of me. How else do I know that I'm a Christian? Verse 14, 1 John chapter 4, it says this, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So how else do I know I'm a Christian? I confess Jesus as the Son of God. I confess Jesus as the Son of God. The same guy, John, who wrote this John is the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John. And in John chapter 3, um, the Apostle John talks about what God did. It's John 3.16. We, we know it. A lot of you know it. And it's all over your coffee cups and T-shirts and everything else. And it's a wonderful, wonderful verse. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him, that's the Son, should not perish but have eternal life. This is the message they have seen. This is what they had seen and it's now what they testify to, okay? What God had shown them, they now seek to make known to the world. They understood the message of God and the mission of God to send his son so people would believe in him and now they go out and they spread that message. He says, we've seen and testified the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And then he says this, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. That phrase, God abides in him and he in God. You remain, you dwell, you're in. You're in the relationship. If you confess that Jesus is the Son of God, then you are in the relationship. You are a Christian. Romans chapter 10, verses nine through 10 says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You're in the relationship. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I recall as being a high school student, my high school pastor, his name was Josh Rose, right over in the room, um, just down the walkway. We were studying this passage and he asked this question, those two words, confess and believe. Are those past tense or are they present tense? The answer is they're present tense. And he asks the question, if it's a present tense confession and a present tense belief, why are so many of us living with this past tense Christianity? Now see, I prayed that prayer. I confessed. I confessed Jesus to be the son of God. I believe that he raised from the dead. Now why can't he just live, let me live my life? Why can't I just do my own thing? I did that. I would, man, I was in middle school and I, I prayed that prayer. Aren't we good now? But, but the attitude of this, if I, if I confess, if it, even right now, 
Even right now, I've been a believer since I was nearly in middle school, and probably fifth grade before that. Gave my life to Jesus at a youth camp. Um, even before that, did the bedside prayer thing with my parents. Uh, and, and up until I was like a sophomore in high school, I confessed this prayer every chance that I got because I wasn't sure if my last sin, my last sin somehow undid it, right? Like I, I prayed the prayer and said, Jesus, forgive me. Would you save me from my sins? I don't want to go to hell. Uh, and I was, yeah, sweet, I'm a Christian now. And then I'd go to the doctor and I'd steal those rubber gloves that are awesome to play with for some reason. And then I'd get home and I'd be like, Jesus, I'm so sorry. You, 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 will you save me from my sins again? I don't want to go to hell again. And then, and then I'd receive him and then, I'd, and then I'd live my life for a while and then I'd make this mistake and that mistake. And, and the person at church would say, anyone, would, anyone want to come down front and receive Jesus? And guess who's receiving Jesus again? There's Thomas. That guy's become a Christian a lot of times in his life. And that, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying we go through this and, and we have to... <clears throat> get saved again and get saved again and get saved again and, and confess and confess and confess and confess and believe and believe and believe and believe. It's just the state we're supposed to live in. We don't live with this past tense confession and past tense belief. Believers live with a present tense confession of who Christ is and a present tense belief in what God has done for us in his son, Jesus. How can I know that I'm a Christian? I believe in Jesus. I confess that Jesus is the Son of God. How else can I know that I'm a Christian? Verse 16. So we have come to know and believe that the love God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love, and here we see the phrase again, abides in God and God abides in him. Whoever abides in love, whoever lives a life of love, whoever remains in love, whoever is characterized by love, it's those people who dwell in God and God dwells in them. It's those people who remain in God and God remains in them. It's the hallmark of the Christian faith is love. How else do I know that I'm a Christian? How else could I know that I'm in the faith? Well, if I look at my life and I realize I live a life characterized by love. How else do I know I'm a Christian? I live a life characterized by love. John chapter 13, verse 35 says this, by this... All people will know that you are my disciples if you let your cross chain hang out of your shirt. <laughs> right, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have more Christian brand clothing um, than stuff bought from Nordstrom. Um, by this, uh, I, all people will know that you are my disciples by the radio stations you turn up really loud and put your windows down so people know you're a believer. Um, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Um, by the amount of Facebook articles you share that are about Jesus. Um, by this, all people will know you are my disciples. If you name your kids Bible names, by this, we could go on and on. None of, and, and we did that, so I can make fun of that all I want. None of those things are bad in and of themselves. Okay, you've got a Christian tattoo that says agape on your forearm that shows you're edgy and cool and a believer. Like, that's great, but that's not how people know you're a disciple of Christ. What's the hallmark? How, how do people know? How do people look at us and know that we are a believer? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The music's great. The shirts are great. The names for your kids are wonderful, but that is not what sets you apart from the world. What sets us apart from the world is the love we have, and he says, for each other. How will the world know that you're a Christian? By the love you have for other believers. Do they see it? 
Think of it like this. How many of you have seen like Law and Order, Chicago PD, those type of shows where they do the favorite shows? They're wonderful. Um, where they do the lineup, right? Where they bring in five guys and, and they ask someone, who done it? Which one's the guy who did it? And it's always the guy who's like, no, it was me. No. And it's always like, obviously, it's that guy. Here, here's a question. If you were to stand in a lineup of five, six people and someone was asked the question, which of the five is a lover of God's people? Are you getting picked? Are you the front runner out of that group? I think if we're honest with ourselves, and I'll be honest with myself, on a good day, someone might consider picking me. On most days, we kind of just look like the world. Yet this is how we will be known if we are in the faith. It's love. That's the first question. How do I know I'm a Christian? We know we're Christians by the Spirit of God that's living inside us. We know we're Christians because we confess that Jesus is the Son of God and we know we're Christians because God's love has changed our lives and we have become lovers of people. That's the first question. What's the second question? Verse 17, by this is love perfected with us. Love perfected. So here's the second question we can ask of our text together. What does perfect love look like? Or what does perfect love do? When God loves me perfectly, what happens to me. By this is love perfected with us. And I love that he says it's love perfected. He said it's not saying it's perfect love. It's not love that's perfect because none of us love perfectly. But hopefully, again, if we look at the trajectory of our life, we should be able to say, you know, I'm more of a loving person now than I was X amount of years ago. I'm understanding God's love for me and I'm beginning to love God's people the way that I should and my love is being perfected. It's like how most things in life happen. You don't just have a perfect golf swing because no one has a perfect golf swing. Um, but, but maybe you're working on it and, and you're slowly getting better. It's your golf swing is being perfected. It's not perfect. Or that recipe, like that Thanksgiving recipe that's been in your family for years that you would say, this thing took some serious time. Right, that dish you bring to Christmas that you say, it's, it's nearly perfected. I've been working on it for years. We added some of this, we took that out, we cooked it different, and it's getting better and better and better and better. That's what happens with us when we're in a relationship with Christ. Love is perfected. So what does that look like? Verse 17, so we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. What does perfect love look like? Well, perfect love leads to confidence. Perfect love leads to to confidence. He says confidence for the day of judgment. Someday Jesus will return. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, verses 7 through 10, it shows us a glimpse of what that will look like. Go ahead and throw that on the screen. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, talking about the day of judgment. It says this, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints, so that's what those who don't know Jesus, that's what's gonna happen. There's gonna be punishment, there's gonna be suffering, and there's going to be separation. For those who are in Christ, when he comes on that day, he's gonna be glorified in his saints. And he'll be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. It's two totally different outcomes. Those who are in Christ 
can be confident, can be confident that they are in fact in Christ, can be confident for the day of judgment that when Jesus comes back, we are good to go. Now, frankly, that's still kind of terrifying. Maybe you've been a believer, uh, you've believed in Jesus for a year, maybe you've believed in Jesus for 10 years, maybe it's been 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. Hopefully, as you've progressed and as you've become uh, older and more mature in your faith, the idea of Jesus coming back has produced more and more confidence and less and less fear. Because you know he loves you, he knows. You know that he cares for you. That's what perfect love does. Perfect love helps us be confident in what Christ has done for us. What else does perfect love do? Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. What else does perfect love look like? Perfect love has no fear. Perfect love has no fear. Here specifically, he says, fear has to do with punishment. Why is there no fear of punishment? Because we know that God will not punish his children. God will discipline his children because the father disciplines the one that he loves, but he will not punish us in a sense of eternal separation and suffering apart from God. Proverbs chapter one, verse seven says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So should we have a healthy fear of God? Yeah, God's pretty big and powerful and he made everything. So yeah, there's this healthy fear of God, just like a child should have a healthy fear of their parents, not because they're terrifying or overbearing or abusive or anything like this, but because they're powerful and because they have control. It should produce a sense of reverence and awe. We should have that sense of reverence and awe for God, but we should not fear his punishment. A few weeks ago, we examined some texts in the New Testament and saw just how confident we can be in our relationship with God. Romans chapter eight, verse one, it said, no, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If there's no condemnation, then why should we be afraid? There's nothing to be afraid of. Romans eight thirty-eight said, nothing can separate us from the love of God for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing can take you away from Christ's love. So what should we be afraid of? John chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus speaking says, my sheep know me, they hear my voice, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. I love that imagery. No one can snatch them out of my hand. It reminds me of the unhappiest, happiest place on earth. You ever been to Disneyland? Okay, so happiest place on earth, right? You know what the unhappiest place on earth at Disneyland is? Small world's weird. There's a lot of weird stuff at Disneyland. The, the worst, uh, scariest, most terrifying, unhappiest part at Disneyland um, is Main Street. You walk in and there's 14 bajillion people um, and you're convinced every single one of them's trying to steal your kids, right? Like this is, this is the attitude you approach the happiest place on earth with is don't lose my children, don't lose my children, don't lose my children. So what happens to me as we're walking hand in hand is my grip in a loving, kind way, my grip tightens and holds their hands even tighter. And in the moment, just like Jesus in John 10 says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. I have that confidence in regard to my children that no one is taking these kids away from me. No one. That's the confidence we should have with the Lord that no one will snatch us out of his hand, that nothing will take us away. We have no reason to fear. What else does perfect love do? Verse 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. 
He's the one who started this thing. So what else does perfect love look like? Well, it looks like it first comes from Jesus. It looks like it comes from Jesus. If you want to be perfected in love, if you want to love people more perfectly, you're first going to have to receive the perfect love Christ has for you. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love, and he shows it first. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So friends, who loved who first? Jesus loved us. And then our love followed. We love because he first loved us. He's the enabler of our love and he's also the example of our love. How then should we love our spouse? How should we love our children? How should we love our friends, our family, our coworkers, our church members, our our everything? How should we love people? We should love people just like Jesus loved us because we love because Jesus first loved us. What does perfect love look like? It looks like it begins with Jesus. A fourth thing, what else does perfect love look like? Verse 20, it says this, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. What else does perfect love look like? What does perfect love do? Perfect love has no hate for people. Perfect love has no hate for people. Becoming more and more convinced that hatred towards people doesn't look like me doing something to them, um, but me withholding something I know I should. I should be doing. It means caring for the hurting. So when I see a brother or a sister or a friend in need who just needs a shoulder to cry on or someone to talk to, and I say, ah, I can't fit it in my schedule. It's not so much the things we do to people, but it's the things we know we should do that we end up withholding. It's hatred. And he says, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. It's the fourth time he's used this phrase, you are a liar, in 1 John. The first time in chapter one and chapter two, and he said, if we claim to know God, if we claim to have fellowship with God, but we walk in the darkness, those two things are incompatible. We're a liar and do not practice the truth. We cannot say we love God and then live a life filled with sin. They don't work. He says if we claim to know God in chapter two, if we claim to know God but we deny that Jesus is the son of God, those two things are incompatible. You cannot know God without confessing Jesus as the son of God. If you say you know God but don't know Jesus, then you are a liar. And then fourthly here, he says if we claim to love God but we hate our brother, those things are incompatible. We are a liar. If we say we love God, we will love what God loves. And who does God love? God loves people. If we say we love God, it means we love what God loves. Verse 21, it's the only commandment that we see in our text this morning. I love commandments because it gives me like a clear action step. Anyone else, what am I supposed to do? Like all this sounds great. What's the do? What should I, how should I leave here differently, acting differently? What am I supposed to do to walk in the will of the Lord? Verse 21 says this, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So what's the do? 
receive a perfect love from a holy God and then go out and try to love people more perfectly. I mean, that's what this says. How do I know that I am in Christ? Well, I am in Christ if the Spirit has come upon me and he's begun to change me and I can see him working in my life. I know that I'm in Christ if I confess that Jesus is the Son of God. I can know that I am in Christ if I look at my life and see that I truly am a lover of what God loves and God loves people. If those are true of me, then I can look at my life and say, yes, I am in Christ. What now? What do I do next? Well, since I'm in Christ, love will be perfected in me. I'll go through this process and sequence of learning to love God's people the way I'm supposed to love God's people and in my Christian life, I will become a more loving person. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So how do we love them? How do we love our brother? Who's our brother, by the way? Because ladies, you're off the hook automatically, apparently. Do this thing, look to the right. You see somebody, consider that your brother. Look to your left. You see somebody, consider that your brother. If there's no one next to you, lucky morning. (laughs) We're supposed to love people. If we love God, we're supposed to love people. If we claim to love God, the natural outpouring of receiving that love is reciprocating that love in our world. It's the way that those two things are supposed to work. Lovers of God are supposed to be lovers of people. So how do we love people? We'll ask a question. How has God shown love to you? He's been sacrificial. He's been selfless. He's been a servant. Um, He's been patient. He's been prayerful. You can run down the list. How has God shown you love? Now go love people that way. How have other believers shown you love that have been models of love in your life? The love that you've received from them, go love people like that. See your example and love people like that. Now what I don't want us to do is leave this room this morning um, with the assumption that, man, that was so good, I'm gonna go love every single person I come in contact with the best I have ever loved anyone because I am abiding in perfect love and love has been perfected. Um, Because what's gonna happen is you're gonna leave and then you're just gonna live your life. And that's great and it's cute and it sounds nice that we should love everybody, but if we try to love everybody, we end up loving nobody. I was reminded this week by a story um, of just focus and faithfulness and what those two things can accomplish. Um, If you've been around Highlands for a while, you know we've done a bunch of kind of like landmark remembrance type celebratory events. When we first built this building, um, I don't know if you know this, if we were to roll this carpet back, there's names all over the floor. Um, And what we committed to was being faithful and focusing on praying for just a few names. And some of you are in the church and are a part of Highlands and are in in a relationship with Jesus um, because God used that person who wrote your name down on this concrete floor to lead you to him. In 2000 and something, when we paid off our debt, we built that cool rock structure out there. Um, and we put more names on it. We have our kids' names are on the rocks and we're praying by the grace of God that they will enter into a loving, healthy, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. We're focused, we're faithful, we want those kids to come to Jesus. Um, more recently for our 20th anniversary, out here in the fountain, there's that beautiful fountain that we redid with all the rock tiles and everything. And once again, um, we put some tiles and put people's names down on these tiles and then, and then put them in the fountain and, and committed ourselves to be faithful and focused on praying for the two or three names we wrote on the fountain. I heard a story last week um, about a 12-year-old, I think he's 12, 13, in our, our church named Chase. Um, Chase put two people down 
on these things. And then three weeks later, these two people decided to start coming to Highlands. So they showed up in our fountain and then they showed up in our church and by the grace of God, they're in a relationship with Jesus. It's faith and it's focus. So what I want us to do this morning is not just go out these doors with this attitude of I'm gonna love every single, I, every single person I come in contact with. What I want you to do is think of two. Can you love two people? Really, really, really well? Can you think of two people? Can you be faithful towards them? Can you focus on them and see what God can do when we focus our love and our faithfulness on just a couple of faces? I'm gonna have you go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. And what I'd love you to do is just think of two faces. Who are two people? Who are two people that God has placed in your life that, that you're thinking maybe you are the one to love them into the kingdom of God? to love them into the family of Jesus. And if you've got two people, if you've got two faces or two names, how can you love them this week? Is it an an encouraging word? Is it an act of kindness? Is it a prayer? Is it uh, giving something? What is it? Jesus, we thank you this morning that you are our first love, that you are the model of love, you are the example of love. God, would you help us go out and love the world the same way that you've loved us. God, we love because you first loved us, and we know that those who love God are also lovers of what God loves, and God, you love people, so help us love people. God, as we turn now and, and, attend, and, and shift our attention towards our love for you, would you be with us? Would you continue convicting us and shaping us as we celebrate who you are and the love that we have for you, the greatest love we've ever known, the greatest love that can be known, the love of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God, we love you, and in Christ's name we pray, amen. Highlands Church, the love that we have been shown perfectly through Jesus Christ ought to be made known through our lives each and every day. Would you get out there this week and go love somebody? Bless you, folks.